1: Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon.
0: And we're on, and welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry. This is your post-draft edition. I'm Alfredo Itiaga, I have Simon Clancy here, I have Chris Kaufman here. Now, this show is brought to you by ShipYourCarNow.com. These guys can move your car, boat, RV, motorcycle, or equipment anywhere you need in the world. Are you a business owner and need to ship freight or machinery? Call them now. Moving away to college or just leaving the state? Don't drive your car there. Ship it there. Call our friends at shipyourcarnow.com. Here's the number. 1-800-264-4644. One more time. 1-800-264-4644. Or, of course, visit them at shipyourcarnow.com backslash five reasons. Don't forget to mention five reasons when you give them a call. There is no job too big or too small. Give them a call and see what Ship Your Car Now can do for you. All right. Dolphins made a trade. Again? Yeah. And they got the quarterback of the future, uh, future Hall of Famer Josh Rosen. Simon, what do you make of this going forward? What What did you make of the trade? Uh, everybody knows what what I feel because, you know, I wrote like 600 words on it and all of You've the been, internet hates my guts now over it. But what do you make of the trade?
3: I mean, I think it's a good trade. I, I, you can like it or not, and it's fine. But ultimately it's going to be judged on the field. We can like it or not, given what he did at UCLA. We can like it or not, given what he did at Arizona. Uh, we can take into consideration the shitty team that he played on, the bad offensive line, the terrible skill position players. That's fine. People say, oh, it's excuses. Whatever. People are going to be people. It's fine. Ultimately, what you've got to think of is that within the span of, what, an hour on Friday night, Chris Greer turned the 48th pick into Rosen, a sixth rounder, and a second round pick in 2020. You've now got a year to see if last year's number 10 overall pick can be the quarterback of the future. If not, then Greer's going to have at least six extra picks, on top of the 70 you know, every team has, to find the franchise passer in a richer crop of prospects next April. So, you know, we've talked ad infinitum about, you know, why don't we draft a guy every year? Why don't we draft a guy every year? Why didn't Tannehill ever get pressed? Why didn't Tannehill ever get challenged? And we didn't do that. We, we essentially drafted Brandon Doty and, and that was it. Here we've got a guy who we've essentially paid minimal for, who's 21 years old, who we don't know a great deal about in terms of moving forward. There's been a weird narrative about his off-the-field stuff and it turns out he's a big fan of the environment and he likes uh, following the financial markets. I mean, what a gangster. Um, and hopefully, you know, he's going to be given afforded the opportunity. And look, if it takes two years, you know, because he's going to be playing behind a generally shitty offensive line, but if it takes two years, whilst it takes you out of the two... Uh, Justin Herbert, Jake from Jordan Love, Jacob Eason race, it puts you back in the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Brock Purdy, Sam Hartman, Adrian Martinez, and everybody else you want to think of race in 2021. Uh, and in that case, he's a backup quarterback who you're paying £6 million for three years with an option to to have him as a backup quarterback for, for the fourth year because of obviously... Five, fifth, uh, fifth year option for, for a first round draft pick I don't really see what the fuss is about whether you like him or not you, you've still got to at some point go to the well and try and fix the problem that has cursed this team since Dan Marino got blown out 63-7 to that's kind of how I feel about it
4: Chris? I think a couple of things to hit on. First off, the the narratives that you see about his personality, preventing him from being a team leader or a um franchise quarterback, all that stuff, uh, I think it's total bullshit. I I think some of the some of the best quarterbacks of all times you could look at have been total assholes uh to a lot of people. <coughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm not saying that, but no, no, I said it. a lot of you. Okay. Simon said it. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the, but the best quarterbacks you've ever seen, uh, were total assholes to somebody. Full
0: disclosure, Dan Marino once told me to fuck off.
4: Nice. And those two. But, and it, so I, I don't buy that. I never, I, I don't really buy that. I think that NFL people get into all kinds of mistakes when they, when they start trying to be psychologists. Um, so that's not that's not an issue for me um also this is a second and fifth round pick it's not three first round picks i mean let's not pretend that we we've mortgaged the future on this guy uh let's also not pretend that he is more than what the Dolphins paid for I think that in the NFL often you get what you pay for because uh, that's the way the market the NFL market works that's the way it worked last year when we paid only a fourth round pick for Robert Quinn what we got was about a fourth round pick you know worth of of player Um, that's I tried to remind people of that last year and whereas everybody was like oh my god we got 28 year old Robert Quinn for for a fourth round pick oh my god oh my god and the NFL prices, these guys fairly well. So every time you think that you've fooled the rest of the NFL, it's usually you who ends up mistaken. Um, So I think that you keep that in mind. This is a gamble. Uh, It's a, it's probably a one year gamble. Part of the problem that I have with it is because you can't give him the proper commitment is because it's a one year gamble. You're marrying him. You're he's going, he's, pretty much going out of the frying pan and into the fryer as far as Arizona's surrounding cast and Miami's surrounding cast. And I don't, I don't understand this sort of the about face. It kind of looks, it kind of looks conflicting as far as what we think the off season was before now was they were allowing talent to walk. They were jettisoning players. They were putting all our picks into 2020 and, um, and not participating in free agency whatsoever and, and basically, we, all, we were all convinced they're going to be a five-win team or a four-win team, or Simon, in your case, you think they're, they're going to be a much worse team than that. Um, so, so they've been aiming to have a roster that, has, that they know is going to be bad. And now they're putting together that with a supposed quarterback of the future candidate who only has one year to take this bad roster and impress you. That's yeah. not a good combination. That's not a good combination. So that's that's a conflicting combination to me. That's one of the the criticisms that I would have for it. I mean, uh, other uh, listen. I don't want to get into tape evaluation and stuff like that of Josh Rosen. I, I have I have some nits with him, and that's fine. Everybody's going to have their own, you know, idiosyncrasies as that they don't like or that they do like with him on tape. But just from a broader perspective, I think that there's a conflict in the way that they've conducted the off season and the fact that now they're putting Josh Rosen on the team and giving him a year to, to wow us. And I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make much sense. Would I pay a second and fifth round pick for that? No, I think that you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. Uh, so, you know, I understand we don't, we don't take enough gambles on quarterbacks. I get that. I'm, I've been pounding that, you know, I've been banging that drum for a long time, Yeah, but this, is a confusing one um and so i probably wouldn't have done it and i am concerned that if they're right to some degree that josh rosen wasn't the guy that he was in arizona last year and that he's much better than that um, you know it'd be hard to be worse but if he is much better than that this year then and you start winning more games then haven't you kind of retract yourself onto that Tannehill thing you know that that whole Tannehill track that I mean, gosh, when we were talking about this weeks ago and, and it was like, that's the boogeyman. Like that's the worst thing that you can do is be, be, you know, in that six and 10 to eight and eight or, you know, whatever track. And, and now we feel like we might have just gotten back onto it and, or on the upside, we might've just gotten back onto it. So I don't know. That's, that's what feels wrong with it. But hey, I wish him all the best. I think he's a good dude. <laughs> I think, I, you know, I like him. I, I like listening to him at the press conference. I wish him the best. The best thing that can happen is this guy goes out and just absolutely wings it and, and kills it for 16 games because I want this position to be done.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. want this position I agree to, be, completely.
4: to be a success. I mean, that's. I'm tired of this shit. I, I really am. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. He's going to have the biggest chip on his shoulder Absolutely.
3: The greatest motivation, and I'll tell you who one of his best friends is, uh, and a friend that he made during the draft process, is Aaron Rodgers, another guy with a monster chip on his shoulder because of what happened. You remember the famous interview when Rodgers was finally drafted about, does he have a message for the 49ers? And he said, mm-hmm. I have a message for the other 23 teams that passed on me. <laughs> Rosen's the same. You read Robert Klemko's article this evening that he released it, uh, uh, and where Rosen's agent called him up to say they're going to mm-hmm. take Kyler Murray, and he said, "That's absolutely fine. Let them take him. I'll just beat him out in training camp, and Kyler can be my backup." And that's the kind I of like guy that. I want. I love it. Yeah, I yeah. love it. He I, is I like coming that. to He is coming to Miami with a monster point to prove. He's, also, he's also coming to Miami 20, to play
4: behind behind Jesse Davis and Chris yeah. Reed. And sure. Daniel Kilgore, and now sure. Michael Dieter. I mean, it's not going to, it's not, I, I personally am of the thinking
3: it's not just a one year deal because I personally feel like Miami are out of the race for 2020. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this during the draft in that they're now in a position where they can churn draft picks like the Patriots do. You know, next year, mm-hmm. if you don't need to move up to get a, you know, a, a tour or whatever, but you can stay there and take a, a Chase Young or, or whoever you're in the position where teams are going to be calling you up and saying, that second rounder of yours, the, the 36 pick, can we take it for a one in 2021? Or that, that, second, that, that third rounder, can you take a, a second rounder in 2020? And you just keep churning draft capital over so that the following year, you're then still in a position where you might have 11 picks or 13 picks. Or, do, do you know what I mean? Yep. The immediacy of having to use those picks, they're in such a strong position such a strong position and i personally think it's a two-year evaluation of how he is and how he moves forwards now whether or not the line and the skill position players will be in place in that time to give him a fair crack, crack of the whip who knows but listen good luck to him
0: yeah now let me say this uh as far as the player i had no problem with the player if you remember to last year's draft preview i want to make a fitzpatrick at 11. But basically, I want to make a Fitzpatrick out of 11 because I thought that Josh Rosen would not get there. But if he did get there, I I, I thought, yeah, might as well just draft him because I thought he was a pretty good quarterback coming out of UCLA. Now, he had his problems, but he can absolutely spin it. And especially his intermediate passing at, at UCLA is what caught my eye, and it caught my eye early in the season. Now, he faded as the season wore on, and I liked him a little less, but I still thought he was worth the pick. Now, what I don't like about the trade is that they, what they traded for them. I thought that they could have you know, gotten Arizona to accept a lot less
3: than what they actually gave they, up. They wouldn't have done that. Why would they have done that? I, I don't understand the argument. Well, they, they made the well, point they that they weren't the going player. to budge. Well, that was fine. That's absolutely they, fine, which well, they would have done they because told, they paid they $6 the million over four they years. They going to
4: budge off a first-rounder, though. They told the Redskins they weren't going to budge off a first-round pick, and they did. Yeah, of course, but at some point
3: you get to the realization that you're not going to move any further. Otherwise, it, 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 it's not ultimately going to be worth
4: your while, right? You get you get that right. They're going to pay him six million pounds across four years. But we don't know where just that
3: was. Him?
4: We don't know where that was, and we knew we do know that Miami intended to take him with the thirty with the third round pick. That that was yeah, what they're trying to do. But and but did, they didn't get that across the line. Yeah, they were yeah they didn't get it across. They they relented. I, and went I, I just
3: don't. I just don't think it's. I just don't think it's. I just don't think it's logical. I actually think it's quite funny to think that Arizona were just going to give him away for a fifth round. That's just not going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen. And there were clearly… Well, it depends, co- it depends I mean, on how, how people, bad they don't want him in camp but, with Kyler Murray. But you read Albert Bree, you read Peter King, and A, you read Robert Klemko. Miami were not the only team in this race when, when push came to shove.
4: But yeah, we but don't know that, what the most, other teams were offering. No, we don't. Yeah,
3: but most of that
0: comes from Steve Keim and his and his press conference of this morning, where he said well, that Peter was King, Peter King was
3: there in Arizona. Yeah, and, well, and, well, Steve Kym says that there was five teams in on. And on Robert Cl, Robert Klimko was in with was at Josh Rosen's house. Mm. And and I, he, I, I just I just think it's ludicrous to think that Miami could have got just sat there and got him for a fifth. Kym's not an idiot. Well, I'm not, he's not saying he's
0: fifth, just, but maybe seventy eight. And not give up a of you know I don't care about the fifth rounder. A fifth rounder, you know, who cares?
3: I really I mean, care this is about essentially top a third rounder. People. And he's still got a second rounder in twenty two. Yeah, I care
0: yeah. about I care about top one hundred. Well, people. those are
3: separate trades though. Well, I not really. I mean they he essentially are. bought well they they are, but they're not. He essentially bought himself time to work the Rosen trade by moving down.
4: Yeah, but the, I mean these are separate tr- they got a boon from New Orleans. I mean yeah, Ar- course, what, did Arizona, what did Arizona accept for for Josh Rosen, did they accept a 75 pick equivalent or did they accept the 62nd pick and a fifth rounder? They accepted a 62nd pick and a fifth rounder. That's what you paid. That's what you paid for this guy. And you, you paid that for the 10th overall pick.
3: Yes, exactly. Yes. So, I mean, I, I just don't understand that, you know, we could have just sat there and given. A, Oh, Steve, take a fourth round and, and just be done with it. I, I just don't get it. It
0: really
4: just depends on what the other teams were offering. And we don't know. Yeah, of course. of course. yeah, and we,
0: and we will never know. Now, <laughs> yeah. uh, Simon kind of said it already. He said that, you know, in his mind, we're probably out of the 2020 quarterback class.
3: Potentially, unless he bombs.
0: That right. chaps my ass. I'll be honest. I, okay, I, now, I don't like that now this is Now, this is where it gets to my question. I was looking up Ryan Tannehill's stats from his second year. And I remember that second year because we all watched it, and we said, hey, there, there's, there's something here. Let's say that Josh Rosen goes out there and throws 24 touchdowns with 17 picks, so he has the turnovers, but he throws for 3,900 yards, and he somehow – I'm not going to put eight wins on him because that's what Tannehill got in his second year mm-hmm. because I don't think that that's possible. But let's say he whips and drives this team to six wins. No,
4: Are you that's not
0: completely enough. out – of
4: the twenty twenty quarterback class, Chris? No, I, no, absolutely not. That's that's not high enough. That's not I mean, that's that's just a that's well, just I an got unf- news for you. I think that ninety percent of the NL fan
0: base NL. would be out. They'll sell themselves on on Josh
3: Rosen if I don't believe that, but then but I also ninety percent of the fan base aren't I mean they're just the fan base <laughs> ultimately. I mean it's but true. The, You know it's true. (laughs) They're just the fan base. And ultimately, and I'm sure they don't want to hear it, but ultimately, their opinion doesn't matter. Nor does ours. Our opinion doesn't matter. We're just three guys who sit here and pontificate each week because we're friends and we've known each other for 20 plus years. But ultimately it doesn't matter because but we
4: do get to debate whether we think of course and that's great great.
3: absolutely absolutely but chris we should and fans should be aware that chris greer and and coach flo and all those guys are not sitting in the war room thinking jesus i wonder what barry from fort lauderdale thinks about this because that's just not how it works so we know that's not how it works but we no, know I the team. I know, I know we know. How We're running works. a podcast, man. Yeah, of course, I know. I know we know how it works. I just think sometimes yeah. other people think yeah. you know. It's yeah, different... I just think
0: that we didn't need Josh Rosen. We wanted him, and that's why we paid what we paid. But you know, I tend I tend to look at guys like Chase Winovich and Juan Thornhill, and mm-hmm. you know, like if those guys become stars or even adequate, you know, pros for the next six, seven, eight seasons.
4: Then we gave well, that up too, you know. Well, imagine, imagine this scenario. Imagine Josh Rosen is a good quarterback mm-hmm. one day, but not for the Miami Dolphins. Like, like that's when you look back on it and you say, "Wait, did we, did we screw ourselves by doing this?" Because I do. I, I don't buy that they're gonna like if he has like an eighty something passer rating and they win six games. I don't buy that they're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna build around Josh Rosen." I think that their eyes are still on the 2020 class. I think that they are. And and, and let's, you know, let's pray. But um, I think that's true anyway. Uh, And so if that happens, if they go ahead and do the exact same thing to Josh Rosen that the Arizona Cardinals just did, um, and then, okay, now Rosen's kind of out of Miami. He goes somewhere else. Let's say he does succeed somewhere else. Then really what happened is he paid the second and fifth round picks without giving, you know, without a real opportunity to see what you've got and um and on the other hand you know without a whole lot of payoff (laughs) you know in that one year that you had them i i think that there's miami's kind of setting themselves up to fail multiple ways because of the fact they've engaged this entire off off season like they're like this is rebuilding slash tanking year. Yeah, And now we're going to take this shot for one year on a quarterback to see if he's the franchise guy, except you're not giving him any better of a team than he just had in Arizona.
3: But as Albert Breer said, look, Rosen comes at a price that's not going to preclude us from drafting Tua or Justin Herbert next year or Trevor Lawrence the year after. As he says, as we said earlier, it's a swing. You might remember Seattle found Russell Wilson by taking swings themselves, Charlie Whitehouse, Matt Flynn. Every team in the league is looking for a guy that's going to lead us to championships it was an easy decision said chris greer it doesn't stop us from doing anything in the future if things goes well if things go well and we feel he's the guy fine but if it's not it doesn't stop us from doing anything next year or the year after i mean you keep swinging i mean i, I think at this point now after years of ignoring the position you just keep taking guys
4: i agree i agree that you keep swinging i just don't i think you have to be smart about how you set up the opportunity and what you use the assets on. And I don't think, I don't sense a plan here. I sense there was a plan and then there was an about face.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They saw it as, as an opportunity and they saw value. And like I said, it wasn't a matter of need. It was a matter of want. And
3: but then Greer said he started doing significant work at the combine because that they'd done significant work last year on, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, but not Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold because they believed that Darnold and Rosen were going to be the guys that would go off the board earlier and that Allen and Mayfield would be the guys when they started doing the tape work that would be available in their area. Well, that's a terrible admission.
4: That's a terrible admission.
3: Yeah, of course. But, you know. (laughs) I wouldn't have said that. (laughs) Why
4: would. How is that? But
3: but ultimately, he's not doing. You know, they were doing work back in. Well, six weeks ago on this it's not like yeah. they just sort of showed up in the office on draft morning. we were like whoa let's get this oh, guy
4: absolutely i agree but it's terrible to it's terrible to think that last year they were only doing homework on two of the quarterbacks and not the four quarterbacks that were going to go you know in the in the top 11 picks uh to think that that fast forward one year and he would just go ahead and admit that that's and say, a yeah, that yeah we like only, we only really did our homework way. on josh rosen this year I'm not sure that's that's exactly It either sounds like a lie or it sounds like, you know, like like just a terrible thing to admit to. I think it's time to play the Michael Bolton music.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. All right. Boys to men coming up. Yeah, we got to move on from Josh Rosen. So we moved on to, well, it was, you know, day two of the draft. And they do find themselves with the 78th pick. And they take Michael Dieter, guard out of Wisconsin. Uh, I have three words for that. (laughs) okay Chauncey Gardner Johnson I have two more words Uh, Yanni Kajust uh, I could have swore that those two guys were going to be the pick uh one represents a desperate need which is a guy that can play tackle and the other is a guy that you know I don't know man I love this this defensive back class one of the best I've seen in the last few years we managed to take none of them He was the best, in my opinion, staring us right in the face at 78. I would would have gotten pretty excited about it. We take Michael Dieter. Your thoughts, Simon?
3: I mean, I don't have a problem with the pick at all. I mean, we've just talked about the fact that Josh Rosen has, you know, you want to get him the best opportunity possible. Well, then, you know, you've got one of those pieces in Laramie Tunsil that Jesse Davis is going to start. And here's a kid in Dieter who can play multiple positions. And as Chris, I'm sure, will um, ruminate on, he will you know, there's a real potential at center. I thought he was better than, I thought he was a, looked a good guard at times. You know, I watched a lot of Jonathan Taylor and I certainly watched a lot of Wisconsin earlier in the season when they were, um, when they were in the national championship hunt, as it were, until they then got spanked at BYU. Um, but when you watch Taylor, you see a lot of Dita, um, and he's a good player. I think he's a good player. I think he's a starting player who offers you position flexibility, but I think ultimately he's going to start next to, to Larry Tunsil. I mean, he's a big guy. He's a long guy. Chris talked... The, there's a very interesting video, if you've not seen it, if I do if I've put it up yet. Very interesting video where Chris analyzes a number of his plays and some, some plays at the Senior Bowl and stuff. And, you know, he's big. He's quick. He looks much better on game film than he looked at at the senior bowl, you see him driving off the ball and moving people consistently down the field. That's what I saw good leg drive, you know, his ability to work with double teams, his ability, he looks like somebody that you see playing under Dante Scarnic here. You know, he Mm -hmm. looks a scheme fit for what I suspect that we will be looking to do in Chad O'Shea's offense. And I, you know, yeah, Chauncey Garner Johnson's a good player. Um, the the other guy that you mentioned, good player. But, you know, I mean, fine. Caduce is going to need a serious year in the weight room. I mean, a serious year in the weight room. Let's not kid ourselves over that. And he's injured. You know, he's got a torn pec muscle or a torn bicep muscle. So, you know, I mean, the Patriots brought him in and that's absolutely fine. But ultimately, the Patriots brought him in as a mulligan player, you know, for whether for when Marcus Cannon, who's a free agent after next year, Assuming that Cannon moves on, much as Trent Brown did, and Isaiah Wind slips into Trent Brown's position, it feels like in a year's time after the rehab in the weight room, Marcus Cannon moves on and uh, and steps could So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I we can keep bashing, we can keep bashing, but actually, I think he's a good pick and a player who's going to be a day one starter. Uh, you know, he's played like one hundred and ninety eight games or something in Wisconsin. Um, you know, I think he's yeah, you know, he's got issues, but most interior offensive linemen coming out of college systems these days have issues. We'll see how it plays out in the field.
0: Now, Chris, you asked me something uh earlier this weekend for me to you know, put it out there, you know, through sources, you know, what they were, they're thinking as far as Michael Dieter, where he's gonna play. I'm told he's gonna cross train, but they look at him as a guard. And mm-hmm. primarily. So, yeah. So I would see him. Playing as a guard, and I was mm-hmm. sold the whole. You know, I, I was sold hard on him for whatever reason. I, you know, I, I, I wasn't particularly impressed, but they really, really do like him, and they they actually think he can play almost every position on the offensive line except right tackle, mm-hmm. oddly enough. But yeah, and he did play a little bit of left tackle at Wisconsin. No,
4: now, he played more than a little bit. He yeah, played, he, played he played a lot. He
0: played like, what, what, how many games was it? Like 32 games? Oh, he played tackle? the entire last year. At the the, time. Yeah, exactly. The entire last and he year. Played,
4: so? And he played, I think four games in in, uh, in 2016 as well, or not 20. Am I, what am I thinking? Of? Yeah. 2016.
0: Well, you've I'm done sorry. some, some digging into his tape,
4: Chris, sure. what do you see? Um, you know, it's, it's, a, so this was not one of my favorite players heading into the draft. And I think part of it is I had a lasting impression in my mind. I'd, I'd watched him at Wisconsin and I've seen, I've seen him play. I mean, he's, he doesn't strike me. I mean, listen, he doesn't pull you like uh, like he's special. I mean, that's, that's not um, what you're saying. You don't look at him and you're just, whoa, you know, like that's not the, the kind of player he is. Uh, he's very, you know, kind of technically sound experienced player he went to the senior bowl and he re- he had really an awful week of practices. Um, that's, that's the lasting impression. And that's, that's what I, you know, kind of was thinking about when I was like, uh, eh, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and target some other guys instead of this guy. Um, during the week of practice, especially during pit drills and the one-on-one drills, which are, you know, to be fair, stacked against the offensive linemen. I go to them every year at the shrine practices. I see them, you know, every time, um, he sucked, though. He was getting. I mean, Charles Menahun knocked him on his ass like twice, and uh, and some other guys literally, you know, bowled him over and knocked him on his butt, and um, and some other guys just beat him. Kalen Saunders uh, did some work against him. You know, a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys did work against him in the Senior Bowl. But then in the game itself, uh, I remember watching him for a few plays and saying, yeah, you know, he's he's not. He's not catching my eye quite the way, say, Nate Davis's or um, or some of the some of the other guys in that game. Um, but when I went back and re- watched the game itself, he did have a much better game. So you know, the the game conditions are different from the, those one on one drills, and I think that's important. What I see is a guy that can absolutely zone protect and and pass blocking. Um, you know he's he's going to have a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of working with the center and working with the left tackle and when he does get isolated in one on one you know he's got a surprising anchor he does really well he's a he's a long bodied guy he's a um, he's got a long torso and I wouldn't say short legs I'm mean, because he's like six foot five um, yeah but he's but he's got he's got a longer body than his height you know or a longer torso than his height would would indicate. Um, he's got good athleticism, good enough athleticism. He moves around really, uh, pretty well. What in particular strikes you about him is he's got a great punch. He's got a really well-timed, great punch. And, uh, and with that long body and those long arms, the long upper torso, when he gets all of that on you, it's really tough to deal with his length. If you're a defensive lineman, because that's just, you know, it's, it's too much. Um, he plays a little bit far out over his toes sometimes uh he's got his he's got his weight forward and uh he he has pretty good knee bend he's not a you know he's not a waist bender i wouldn't say but he plays a little bit far out over his toes and that can be taken advantage of you see that taken advantage of by defensive linemen particularly ones with good hands um good ones with good hands can you know yank him or pull him or you know shed him and if he's got his weight forward then it it it's not a good deal for him, but in the run game, uh, he, he does well because he plays with his weight forward. Actually, he's like a battering ram in short yardage situations, which is nice. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's good uh, in space. He doesn't really strike me as very interesting. I think that when he gets out into space on screens or uh, gets out into space on um, polls or zones and stuff like that, he's as likely to you know miss a guy and, and not find a guy as, as anything else. That's why on PFF, he's got a, a high percentage of negative run block uh, plays. Um, but he's also got a, a high percentage of, um, of positive run block plays because he does do it right. A good amount of the time yeah, that's um,
0: something that that you see right away in in film when you watch him when he finds himself in space it's hard it's hard for him to find people to hit.
4: Yeah, it is. It is, and and Isaiah uh, or Asiata Isaac Asiata had this problem as well. Except I, uh, I think Isaac uh, had some other problems. Where yeah. I actually I mentioned this before, but I watched this 2018, I watched 2017, and I went back and watched 2016 because he played three different positions. He played in 2018 all left guard. He played in 2017 pretty much all left tackle, and in play, in 2016 he played mostly like ten games of center. And the most interesting I saw him was really in 2016 at a center especially considering his age at that point and his inexperience at that point like he's developed since then he's gotten better since then but his length at center and combination of his length savvy and anchor at center would be really interesting um it would be a really interesting guy to put there that's why i I asked you to ask ask your people um what they think about that but uh i he's going to be a guard for now. Cause that's what he's played more recently. He's, he was a high graded left guard. Interestingly enough, he was even higher graded on PFF as a center back in 2016. But, um, but I think that uh, this is, this is, this could be a good pick. I don't know if I would have taken him that high. Uh, there were certainly other guys I liked, but it's not like this is a bad player.
0: You know who he reminds me of, and this is not a negative thing. I'm not saying that he's going to be a bust and that because this guy was a bust, but. Do you remember Jameel Douglas in 2015 when they took him in the fourth round? I do. Okay. He played a little bit of left tackle. He played a little bit of center at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. And he he was a big, powerful, guy, long, lean guy. He was 6'4", 310 pounds. Kind of similar in that sense, mm-hmm. but this guy's much more accomplished, I would say. Yeah. He's got
4: a better punch.
0: Yeah. he's He's sudden and he's physical. You could tell. You know, like it's obvious, you know. Now mm-hmm. we're – where it gets a little iffy is when when you see all these quick twitch you know defensive tackles try to put a move on him. you could tell yeah. that he's thinking <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. he's thinking on okay how do i stay in front of this
3: guy mm-hmm. so, he does a great job of picking up stunts and things like that he's well aware of those sorts of things yes, which yes. is something that our offensive linemen seem to just i mean they see them week after week and it's like the first time they've ever seen them. and they you know thank god that will change if nothing else <laughs> Yeah. So coming up, we will assess the rest of the draft. Uh, Alf will tell us why he hates every other person that was ever born to play the game. Um, Chris and I won't, essentially. First this.
2: You're listening to the Five Reason Sports Network. We've created a menu of intelligent and entertaining content on demand for commutes, workouts, and more. And by now, you're already familiar with the 15 different podcasts on our network. Today we are proud to announce the premiere of our brand new website, fivereasonssports.com. On it, you'll find columns from more than a dozen of our hosts, many who are professional writers in the market. Watch original videos from shows like Miami Heat Beat and Balls Cast. Browse our full merchandise shop. And unlike other outlets in the area, there's no paywall. Everything is absolutely free. All of this from a network that's credentialed from all five major sports teams in South Florida. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's free? We're By Miami for Miami. We're sports on your schedule. We're Miami Sports On Demand. We're the 5 Reasons Sports Network. Go to 5reasonsports.com today.
0: Hey, it's Seth Levitt here from the fish tank with my main man. OJ McDuffie, the juice. And juice, we've got a special guest over the next two weeks in the tank. What's up, everybody? It's Pat Sertan, and I'm officially diving into the fish tank. If he was better than Peyton, yeah. he definitely wasn't better than me. Oh, there so we go.
3: So I that's what I wanted to get, get at.
0: Yeah, that's where we're going with it. Did you mm-hmm. and Peyton ever play against each other in high school? Absolutely. Beat him 35-7. 35-7. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. I had three rushing and two passing on him, accounting for all five touchdowns. Out <laughs> <That> of <laughs> hands all of them yeah hey pat came in here saying he doesn't remember stuff but he remembered all that that. make sure you dive into the tank to hear our entire interview with patrick sertan here on the five reasons sports network you can catch up on what you've missed and hear new episodes every two weeks until july by searching the fish tank on apple music google play podbean spotify or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts
3: Welcome back to Three Hours Per Carry. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Alfredo Arteaga, Chris Kaufman. Uh, just want to throw some, uh, what's the opposite of shade? Love, really, at uh, Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes. Try saying that at uh, 0042 on a Tuesday morning. But Craig essentially had the Dolphins and Michael Dieter about six weeks ago. Um, <laughs> he tweeted that the Dolphins were targeting Michael Dieter, so kudos to him, to his podcast as well. We are reflecting on the Dolphins draft, and it is day three, rounds four through seven. I uh, almost said a terrible word there. It's like um, it's like the Battle of Winterfell. Uh, if you're Alf, um, if you're Chris and I, it's a bit more like we're Arya Stark. Um, Alf is the Night King, or he is Melisandre in the final scene. <laughs> He's the the Dothraki riding towards... No, no, no. uh,
0: I I, I would have much better, you know, strategic, you know, advice behind me. Especially, you know, the night king. He let the offensive line let somebody come out from behind him. Like, really?
3: He is Ed, essentially, the man who (laughs) saved Samuel Tarly and then was stabbed seconds later. We, Chris and I, are still Samuel Tarly. Tarly. (laughs) Actually, Chris. You look like Samuel. Well, no, you don't. Oh, so, do okay. I? No. Of course you don't.
0: I prefer to think myself as as if, as, as Drogon and you two as Khaleesi and Jon Snow.
4: Which one's weird? <laughs> Kinda weird.
3: weird. that's really weird. Because that would mean we've been having sex, which is yeah. weird. It's strange. Which, which Game of Thrones character would you be and who is your favorite Game of Thrones character?
0: Oh, come on, Tyrion is my favorite
4: of course he is didn't we Chris? i swear we've answered this before I, th- I, th- I think everybody's favorite or most most people's favorite is going to be aria right um, yeah. yeah well she's the so who, who do you associate with who do i associate with ah. Wow, no, that's, that's I never thought. I've never actually thought about that, and I feel like I want to give a thoughtful answer, but I can't, okay. so I won't. Well, Tyrion.
0: <laughs> if you notice, Tyrion is always walking around thinking, "Man, all these people are really, really, really stupid." And I should, yeah, even- but I'm not sure. Everything. You know what I mean? And I'm not really that's- that short, so yeah, I guess Tyrion.
3: Nice. <laughs> I'm Theon. I- 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 <laughs> Nobody wants to be Theon. <laughs> You're either Theon, uh, Grey Worm. <laughs> Or oh, Varys.
4: yeah. Oh, Varys. Oh, Varys. Oh man. Yeah. Wait. What? I,
3: somebody about cock and balls. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I just realised the connection between them. Yeah. Those...
3: Exactly. You... Uh, I miss, I, I'm going to miss and die because I just spend all my time staying at home touching myself.
4: Anyway, if, ladies what, and gentlemen. What if you're like? What if you're the prostitute that died? Like toward like when Joffrey. The one that, died the one of... that got with the bow and arrow. Or yeah, was, yeah. 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 I'm not. I'm not her. I'm not her.
3: <laughs> Thanks, though. <laughs> um, right, <laughs> round four. We didn't have a pick in round four, did we? So let's go straight no, <laughs> to uh, our to Rip Van Ginkle, our, uh, our fifth round pick.
1: Um, I
3: prefer. I prefer, that, uh, I prefer. Pappy Van Ginkle. Yeah, a player that Chris and I both like and think is a massive scheme fit. Speaking, but somebody
0: else. Speaking uh, of, Game, uh, of throne, <laughs> Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones characters. he yeah.
3: sounds like one, right? He looks like. Um, he looks like Khaleesi's brother who had the uh the gold poured on his head oh, by um yeah. by um whatever his name is in season uh, Viserys? one.
4: Viserys? Was it Viserys?
3: Yeah, no, um what's his name? Who uh who was burnt in the fire by Daenerys. Yeah, yeah is that
4: It was it was because she named yeah. the Dragon.
3: The head of Doth- the Dothraken, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I hope about? he's better than that. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's um, you know if he if he
4: picks up his muscles and his size, I think we'll be we we'll have something. Let's start off on a positive foot. So I'll 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 go first. <laughs> uh, I thought that he's a good. He, I've always had him on a list of perfect fits for this position that we know that they want to fill in the linebacker unit. And just as a reminder, if you think of three down linebackers as being run stopping and pass coverage, you know that you have to be able to to run and, and cover the um, receivers if you want to stay on the field for three downs, that's not this system anymore. Uh, this mis- this system has been changed to a New England style defense where the three down linebackers are three downs because they can run stop and they can pass rush uh, or be a force up front. Um, yes, they, they might drop back and, and take care of some, uh, some easier uh, coverage responsibilities, but mostly you're thinking of these guys as, you know, run stoppers, real linebackers um, that can weave through traffic and do things in the middle uh, from a stacked linebacker position off ball, and go up to the line of scrimmage and be a force, rush the passer from the outside, blitz the A gap, stuff like that. Jelani Tavai of Hawaii, we talked about ad nauseum. Uh, was a perfect fit for that. He went in the late second round to the Detroit Lions, who run the exact same system. He was um, apparently going to the Patriots if he'd lasted that long. That's right. That's right. So it was either the Detroit Lions or the New England Patriots, and I imagine the Miami Dolphins probably were interested as well. So... um so this is another guy, Andrew Van Ginkle, is interesting because he has real linebacker traits, real linebacker experience, but he's also been used like a pass rusher. There have been other guys like, you know, uh, Terrell Hanks, who is now a, uh, an undrafted free agent for the Miami Dolphins, uh, are similar. But this guy tested extremely well at the NFL Combine. He is uh, basically 6'3 half, two hundred forty one 241 pounds, 38 inch vertical, um, 10 foot 3 broad, broad jump. He did a 414 shuttle and a 689 cone. Those are those are serious times. Elite times, so, yeah. Elite times for guy for six foot for nearly six foot four and 241 pounds. That's amazing. And he ran a 456 uh, official at his uh, at his pro day at Wisconsin. So he's an athletic dude. Um, I think that some people are down on him because his pass rush in 2018. Wasn't awesome. And I think that's fair. I think that even I, you know, kind of eat the cheese a little bit and fall for the sexy pass rushers, even though I know that's not what they want for this position. Um, But in this case, uh, you have to I wish I would have looked a little bit more, which I have since the draft looked a little bit more at his 2017 tape. Because in 2017, he was used in a little bit more of a sub role, but, uh, but also used a little bit more like Miami will use him, I think. And um, and he played a lot of off-ball linebacker. He had big, you know, he had an interception, that a pick six against Ohio State. That was really awesome. He did well in coverage. He did well in space. But then rushing the passer, I mean, he, he had a pressure rate of 21%, which is elite. Um, so he was, he was very good that way. He's an explosive player, very agile, uh, brutal, good hands. Uh, he he gets those long arms and those, and that, you know, long body of his, he gets those hands up and he can actually do a lot batting passes, I think, and, and intimidating the passing lanes. Uh, especially if you drop him out in the coverage, I think he's a perfect fit for the Miami dolphins. I probably should have actually even been been higher on him than I was. And, um, and that's, that's one that I'll take. Uh, but I like him. I think that this is a good round pick for the fifth. Hey, it's the fifth round. We know that there's not yeah. much expectation in fifth or seventh. Yeah, it's 151st uh, overall. A good fifth off, round so. Yeah, this yeah. is a good fifth round pick, though.
3: Mm. I mean, you go back and look at what he did at South Dakota as a freshman.
4: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: where he played defensive end, and he had what, 18 tackles for lost loss? I think it was either 9 or 11 sacks, a couple of forced fumbles. He was conference freshman of the year, Went to the went to the Juco, and then Two years at Wisconsin, and like you say, back in 2017, he was either attacking quarterbacks, uh, an off-ball linebacker in coverage, just all over the field, really. Um, mm-hmm. And he is an athletic guy who is going to be moved around the formation and is going to do a number of different things. And to me, it looks like he's going to do a number of different things really well. I, I just, I just really like the fit. I like what he does. I like what he brings to the team. Um, you know, I don't think he's overly aggressive as a run blocker. Uh, as a uh, as a tackler, I mean, uh, but I think he's consistent as a pass rusher. He knows how to get to the quarterback, and also you watch the game. For example, against Miami, mm-hmm. he knows how to force fumble. He knows to get the, how to get the ball, uh, and, and that is a consistent New England trait of, of ripping balls out before guys mm-hmm. get to the get down to the floor. And I think his length and his production is gonna is gonna mean that he is a essentially a very um, viable contributor especially as a fifth rounder for this team i just think he you know because when you know when his name was announced i'm sure 98 percent of the fan base were like who what what (laughs) but actually you look at the scheme fit you look what it does on special teams the value you have there but i think he is a he is more than viable enough to be a regular performer on defense and i think it's a i think it's a very good fit for us in um, in, in the fifth round very good pick for us in the fifth round great name too yeah. yeah absolutely. Now you don't
0: you think that he can contribute right away because I look at his body and it looks like it needs work because he has that Kiko Alonso thing going where you you can't figure out where the 241
3: pounds are. Yeah, he <laughs> had 17 reps at the combine, but um, I think he I, I think he contributes straight away. I do. I, I think he'll be. I, I think that's part of the reason why they why they picked him. I think he's going to need to work in the weight room, but I think ultimately, I think he's going to hold up. Um, yeah, you know, he may maybe there's a sub package Russia to start with, but I think he will he will find the field.
0: All right, so we're gonna move on here, but very quickly from both of you first, Simon is he rostered or is he a guy that that could find his way onto the practice squad?
3: Oh,
4: he's he's on the roster. I mean, I'll be amazed if he doesn't make the team. Chris this is one of the roster. this is one of the roster players to me uh definitely um i don 't think you yeah, consider that they need some they need bodies for this position right We know that right yeah. that making this defensive transition is hard and um and you need that in particular piece in order to do it and he 's the best one they 've got so I, yeah, he's he's a roster no-brainer. And plus, uh, Funky Buddha Brewing has already agreed to do an Andrew Van Dunkel. So, um, you know, he has to be on the roster.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, the sixth round came around, and they take Isaiah Prince out of Ohio State. Big school, mm-hmm. big guy. He's a tackle, position of need. But, Chris, you panned the pick right away. <laughs> a little bit. So let him have it.
4: <laughs> Listen, I mean – his history is bad. People know that, though. Um, I think people that are familiar with his work, especially Ohio State people, that are familiar with his work um, a number of years ago and throughout the years at Ohio State, I think they would tell you that he was awful and then, you know, miraculously he improved. And that's, that, that explains him But if you look at Isaiah Prince. He is just like Jared. So they got an offensive tackle from the AAF. Uh, named uh, jared jones smith and isaiah prince and jared jones smith are very alike in that they they both have ridiculously long arms ridiculously big wingspan jared jones smith has like a seven foot five inch wingspan or something like that i've never even seen before oh yeah Um, for those of you who
0: haven't seen him play isaiah prince he absolutely looks spectacular in a uniform
4: yeah. And he's got, and Isaiah Prince has like a, a seven foot himself. He has a seven foot and a half inch wingspan and 35 and a half inch arms. And you see it like he, he, he wins, you know, he definitely wins the eyeball test. Uh, he's six foot, six and a half, three hundred five 305 pounds. He's very athletic. He tested out really well for, for all of, you know, basically all of the numbers except for the agility drills, which, is conspicuous because on tape that's where things start to fall apart. Listen, I, I think that he's a he's an interesting roll of the dice in that he's got a great body, and he made sort of a almost miraculous turnaround of his career at Ohio State, mm-hmm. and um, and was doing far far and away better than in especially in 2018 than he had in previous years. I also think that when you um, when you look at him he, he opens up his chest quite a bit and defense alignment can get can get their hands in there and he has a hard time with that I think that you can intimidate him with speed around the edge and then he, he kind of panics and uh, and can get his shoulders turned um, too quickly and uh, and not be patient enough and I wonder how patient he's gonna be at the next level when things when guys get even better and even faster Um I think that he's got this history of sort of, you know, getting into, into Ohio State and being a little bit overwhelmed and then getting better. And it, it seems to work out that, that those sorts of guys that did that in college also do the same thing in the NFL. So there's going to be a big learning curve with him. I think as we stand here today, and the reason I panned the pick and said, you don't want to know what I think, in part because at the time, nobody had any appetite for anything except positive you know, language about everything that the Dolphins were doing. I mean, let's face it, that's true. That's, that's what people on Twitter wanted to hear. Um, but also because I legitimately believe the AAF guy, Jared Jones-Smith, is probably going to be ahead of him when, when all, thing, all is said and done at the end of camp and we're making the final cut. So could he be cut at the end of co- camp and put on the practice squad? Yes, I do believe that that is a, poss- a strong possibility. But otherwise, you know, he's a dice roll, and he looks like a dice roll. So take it. Simon?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind. the pick. I'll go back to the game that he played. Was it 2016, maybe? I don't know. I don't know, 2016. Remember the – Yeah, it was at the Michigan game, where the the game that ended on the spot of the ball in Ohio State, one thirty to twenty-seven. It looked like Michigan had had stopped them, and and they gave them the first down on the the spot of the ball. And he was absolutely atrocious. And it was Mm -hmm. just you just thought, how you're just not gonna. I mean, I think J.T. Barrett was just like scrambling for his life. And from that point forwards, I mean, he had some iffy games. I remember the Maryland game; he struggled. But from that point forwards, it seemed like he got a little bit better. Incrementally, and then I thought last year actually he played pretty well. And you look at him in the run game, mm-hmm. and I think at, at times he was dominant in the run game. I was looking at Pro Football Focus's statistics over the weekend. He was the fifth with you there highest. He was the fifth highest, and I never do that. I never look at PFF, but he mm-hmm. was the fifth highest-rated run blocker in the draft. You know, he's a big human being. I think he ran. Did he run a five hundred four or five hundred eight in the combine? You know, he's he's got athletic traits that you like and i think you look at some of the issues that he has and i don't think that they' I, I don't think that they're issues that you can't overcome with some decent coaching you know i, I don't know whether or not pat flaherty i mean it's not dante gramick here but whether or not he has the ability to help him you know drop his pad level, for example um, w- which it seems to be an issue he doesn't seem like a natural knee bender to me at times but i have seen enough flashes from him to make him think that he could potentially I say potentially be a starter. I wonder whether or not, in terms of his ability as a as a people mover, whether or not he might be cross trained inside. I don't know whether or not that, that will happen. But you, you think a guy with that ability in the run game? You know, he could be a Jamie Nails type in terms of that ability in the run game. Yeah, because be he is to a really
0: good athlete, and he and he is. very very much like Jamie Nails, and unlike Michael Dieter, when he gets out in space, he finds people that hit. So yeah, that's that's probably. one thing he has going for.
4: Well, just, if you think if if Michael Dieter kind of plays forward over his toes a little bit, um, Isaiah Prince is way worse uh, mm. with that. I mean, he plays he plays forward unbalanced over his toes, and he also falls into that that thing where where you you take your eyes down and you just like you know you kind of launch into people. He he falls into that, and this is all about his composure. I think it's all about how 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 much he's pressing and how much pressure he's feeling. Um and that's that's what I think is that's what I question is he gets in the league and right away he's gonna be feeling that pressure. And so i think he might lose his composure a little bit. And um and that's what I that's what I wonder about. But as far as Jamie Nails, well, let's also keep in mind though Jamie Nails was like three hundred and sixty pounds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. And, and running 60 yards down the field, hitting people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jamie Nails, that one season by Jamie Nails, such a shame that he got injured the following year. But that one year with Jamie Nails was, was magical. As magical as a season can be with a guard.
3: Really, <laughs> I mean, I don't mind in the sixth round taking a risk on a six foot seven, three hundred and five pounder with some serious athletic traits who can smash you in the mouth in the run game, and looks yeah. like he's got some technique issues that could be coached out of him. I don't mind that. You know, you are not going to uh, find too many, you know, mm. Larry Allens in the, yes. in the sixth round. I don't mind that. He he'll get a shot to compete either as a starting right tackle or potentially as a starting right guard, or as a, or as a backup who maybe in two or three years' time once mm-hmm. he, cause you kind of get the impression that maybe it's going to take him a little if he follows the same theme that he did at Ohio state, it may be that it takes him time to pick things up and learn these new, to unlearn some of his bad traits. Mm-hmm. We shall see.
4: Yeah. But right. uh, if I had to guess right now though, I would say that I would predict that Jared Jones Smith is going to end up on, you know, ahead of him. That's, you know, based on what I saw of the two players this year, um, that's just my prediction, my feeling. I don't know if it – you know, who knows if it actually works out that way.
0: Well, we got Chris's prediction. What about you, Simon? Where do you think he fits in the roster when the time comes?
4: I think he makes the team.
3: I wouldn't surprise me at all if he made it. I mean, I, I, I think it's fascinating that some of the guys that they picked up, you know, Shaq Calhoun from Mississippi State is an undrafted free agent, for example, I think he will get a decent shot and mm. is a decent enough player. But, you know, I know, I know that there were certainly, you know – I know the Our Lads guy, Dan Shonker and those not Our Lads, they had Prince as a 74th-rated player in the draft. Yeah. yeah, There are there are people that think he can play.
0: Yeah, um,
3: And um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out because, look, let's not beat around the bush here. Jesse Davis played for a year and started essentially for a year. Daniel Kilgore started for however long he did until he got injured. But four out of the five positions on that offensive line are up for grabs. Yeah. They are <laughs> up for grabs. You know, Larry Ritonson is an elite all-pro left tackle. That's absolutely fine. Every other position is up for grabs. And you could see a combination of guys, you know, filling in at at spaces. And you could see four young guys learning together alongside an elite left tackle. I I don't think that's ultimately beyond the realms of possibility.
0: All right. So we move on to the seventh round. And if you're a fan of college football, it's very, very rare that the average fan is going to know who you took in the seventh round back-to-back. (laughs) <laughs> but if you watch college football you said hey i know those guys so well, at least one of them yeah at least one of them no nah, i would say both really both really in the 19th pick and the 20th pick they take back-to-back chandler cox a guy who's extremely noticeable if you watch any any of auburn okay and miles gaskin running back out of washington in my opinion i think chandler cox plays uh, i want to say 15 snaps a game this year or did i go too high or too low chris and
4: it's, it's interesting, I would say I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let you continue on with them. But um, I say that it's going to be experimental and camp because I think that they're going to be deciding be- between whether they're going to be a 12 personnel team, or 21 person a 12 and, you know, 12 and 22 personnel or whatever, um, or if they're going to be like a, a 21 personnel team. And I don't know which one they're going to choose. So, OK, and so, yeah, on Chandler Cox, I would say, yeah, like if on, on
0: the high side, let's say if he plays 15 snaps a game, you're getting a guy that's going to play 15 snaps a game at fullback and maybe some H back. And who knows, maybe as a third tight end, because he's played pretty much everything at Auburn in the seventh round. That's a good pick. And Miles Gaskin. Look, uh, the running back room is barren, except for Kenyon Drake and Kellen Bellage. They need bodies. I say Miles Gaskin also makes the team. So if you have two seven rounders that uh, that make the team, that's a successful seventh round. Simon, your thoughts?
3: I I like him. You know, it's an old school kind of, you know, obviously we know that fullback has been phased out. The the Patriots played James Devlin 36% of the time on offensive snaps last year. You know, I, I don't suspect he will play that high. But you look at what he does and what he is, and he essentially reminds me of a cross between Charles Clay and, uh, and Marquise Gray in terms of what he brings. You remember when when both of those guys first came? Remember when Charles Clay came? In. Charles Clay did as much running the ball in college as he did anything else. So you look mm-hmm. at you look at Cox's numbers. Um, he took two hundred eighty four snaps at fullback, one hundred twelve snaps at tight end, fifty two snaps at at receiver 48 of which were in the slot six were on the uh, four were on the boundary you took 47 snaps at halfback and two snaps at quarterback this is not your typical fullback yet again we're seeing a theme we are seeing versatile chess pieces that can be moved around the formation and uh, and put in different positions he's an excellent blocker he's an you just have to throw on the Auburn tape and see what he does as a blocker he's a short yardage uh, he's a short yardage back. He, he scored three or four touchdowns in you know, out of I formations where he was the, the, the halfback. Um, so he will challenge Christian Wilkins for his ability around the goal line. And he's going to catch the ball out of the backfield. He's just going to be one of those guys that, again, make a living on special teams. Um, but I think, um, again, I think it's a guy that has a real shot at making the team. I love the fact that he was on his boat fishing wasn't sure if he get drafted. It was just on his boat fishing with his girlfriend when he got the call from Chris Greer. Chris Greer to say that he was um he was going to get drafted. But look, good luck to him. You, you, again, you throw on the tape, especially last year. You see him working with guys like Braden Smith and you know standing up in pass protection for Jarrett Stidham and those sorts of things. Like, you know he he does a lot of things well.
4: Chris. I think you have it right that he's a multi-tool guy, not exactly a uh, fullback that's like – I've heard yeah. this uh, term before that he's not a uh, stab-you-in-the-heart fullback. No, um, so, you know, he is a multi-tool guy. Uh, I I would recommend if you want to go on and get a good look at him, um, go on YouTube and find the, um, the Auburn offensive line versus Washington 2018 film. Mm. Uh, it's, it's cut up it's cut up there on uh, on youtube go watch it he's number 27 you can't miss him he's in on most of the plays what you're getting a glimpse for in that place uh, or, or in that particular game is his potential in the passing game because he was a very strong presence in the passing game uh, in that particular game and so you also get plenty of look at him as a blocker and there are times listen they got Washington has some big boys on the outside Um, uh, at defensive end and outside linebacker they got 277 and 282 pound guys out there and so he has to take on these guys as a fullback as a 240 pound fullback um and take them on as if he were an on the line tight end and he did it and he you know that that's that's more physical that's better blocking than you get on nick o'leary who's who's a tight end an actual tight end and who is bigger so i think that um i think that that's what you're looking at him as is he is he even faster and more agile and sort of more um more maneuverable than nick o'leary yes he is actually uh can he block like nick o'leary yeah actually kind of can can he also uh you know lead block from the backfield really well like a like a real fullback well you know kind of yeah he does he does pretty well with it does he play sidecar with the quarterback in the in the backfield and um and and pass protect and be a personal pass protector like he's the the halfback. Yeah, he does that too. Uh, and you'll see that in that that game. He does all of those things, and he also acts as like you know a, a misdirection guy in their passing game and the the attack that they used at Auburn. And that's where you're getting the idea of how he could Because imagine him coming on the field with a Kenyon Drake, except Kenyon Drake coming out wide to a receiver position and him staying in the backfield with the quarterback and shotgun as a personal protector. Now, you know, now you're starting to get a a feel for how they could use them to develop mismatches that aren't exactly his mismatches, but maybe somebody else's mismatches. So I think that it's a, it's a good pick. It's an interesting pick. Um, I think that in camp they're going to be testing out because they, they got this thing with Mike Gasicki. They're going to try to figure, figure out how he works. So they're going to try and figure out whether if they put um, the guy that they signed Dwayne Allen from, from uh, New England, if they put him at the real Y position and they put Mike Gasicki off you know in as an f position uh do they have a valid twelve personnel offense that gets personnel mismatches the mismatches that they want against defenses? They're gonna test that out, uh but they're also gonna test out whether if they use this fullback and they start using twenty one personnel, do they get personnel mismatches that they want there too, like the Patriots the Patriots decide you know before a year whether they're going to be a 12 personnel team this year, you know, 12, 13 type personnel, or whether they're going to be a 21, 22 personnel type team, or they're going to be a three wide receiver team or something like that. They, that's what they do. That's the history. So I think they're going to figure, get it all in camp and try the different things and then they're going to decide. And that's why I say that I don't know if he's going to make the roster or not, because you know, maybe it's compelling. Maybe it's not compelling. Maybe it's not even his fault that it's not compelling. Um, to do 21 personnel uh, that package so we'll we'll have to see but I, I do like him I didn't think he's a good player I think that he can block in a lot of the ways that some of the tight ends like Nick O'Leary can and I think he can also play some running back and you know we have another short yardage back if if he's on the team it's like Lou Polite you know he he can take those third and one short yardage handoffs and be a powerful uh, guy in there so you know overall I've, I've gushed enough
0: all right all right before we get out of here simon just tell me in general what you felt about what they've accomplished in the last three days
3: well, i thought it was i thought it was decent you look at you know the last guy miles gaskin he's the you know if you're gonna say that in the seventh round you get the 13th leading rusher in ncaa history you mm-hmm. get the guy the 16th most touchdowns in ncaa history averaged 5.6 yards a carry in the seventh round you know here's another kid that's Probably going to make the team. You know, three and a half thousand yards after contact in his career, 196 force missed tackles on the ground, longest runs of 80, 80, 69, 68, 86, 84 in four seasons. You know, he's undersized, but he can catch. He understands leverage in the in the, in the blocking. He'll need to get stronger in pass protection. But here's a guy who can do some things as well. So overall, I did, I, I, I thought it was a perfectly good draft and I can see why some of you know I hate the the draft grading but I've seen a number of teams a number of uh, media outlets and respected reporters giving the Dolphins a really high grade you know, Peter King said that Chris Greer was the GM of the weekend there are others who gave the Dolphins a straight A I thought they did well and then you look at some of the undrafted free agents. I mentioned Shaq Calhoun but Chris mentioned Terrell Hanks well, there's two guys who potentially could make the team. Preston we didn't
4: Williams. Did the, we didn't even
3: get into our guy. <laughs> I mean Preston Williams, the receiver of a We're gonna do a up. whole podcast. I mean he's a whole podcast. He is he has the potential to be a I mean he he does have the potential to be a star in the NFL. He ran a four fifty-three and that was considered slow at six foot four and two hundred and ten pounds. He is a five star recruit, an absolute physical specimen, was two years at Tennessee then uh, transferred and missed some time because of an off-field issue that we'll get into. And he's had a a few off-field issues. But his one season at Colorado State, I mean, he had 96 catches, 94 catches. Um, He's just an absolute beast. He reminds you of Josh Gordon, of a Terrell Owens. He high points the ball. He just blocks everybody out with that massive frame. He can get up outside the frame. You know, you just it's, you can't cover him. And then when he gets the ball in his hands, he just is so strong. It's like watching Marshall Ninch against the Saints in the playoffs. He's just shoving guys over and, you know, stiff arming guys in the face. If he's right and if he's on, you know, this is a kid that you know Mel Kiper talked about being a late first round, early to mid second rounder. Same with Todd McShay. Same with Daniel Jeremiah. That's the talent that you're looking at for an underclassman as well a guy really with only a year's production but what a year's production if they get him right and the off-field issues which he says are, are well in the past they could have an absolute monster on the, on their hands
4: yeah i think we we will need to go in a future podcast into him in more depth because yes absolutely not only entertaining like he's not only good he's like entertaining <laughs> yeah if he goes some of his background is clearly not entertaining and has to be taken but seriously. Apparently,
3: a massively hard worker, a huge work ethic guy. So, you know, you take all the bad stuff that we'll talk about in another podcast, but he's not a guy that dogs it in practice. Certainly, he's a guy that turns up every day and really looks to get the job done. So, fingers crossed. I, I yeah, think my that
0: issue, I, my issue with this draft was that I wanted defensive backs because I like the class and we got none. Yep. And I thought mm-hmm. that we needed a five tech and we got none. Uh, what were your issues, or did you have
4: any issues with the draft, Chris? I mean, overall, so I, I've explained how I feel about all the guys we take taken, and I'm not quite as high on Miles Gaskin as, as Simon was, but um, I see a bunch of positives for all these guys. Michael Dieter, Andrew Van Ginkel. clearly. You know, I talk about Chandler Cox. Um, there's even positives with Isaiah Prince who, you know, I kind of joked about when he was, when he was drafted, but what I walk away from is if I'm looking at this sort of holistically and I say your second best pick in the draft actually came when the draft was over and that was Preston Williams, uh, as an undrafted free agent, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I feel. Um, and, and so when I, when I look at that and I say that, then it's hard for me to say that you just had A draft that I you know a plus 100% throw myself into Um, and I know that's not really worth anything it's just it's just identifying how many of your guys that you got but that's the reality of it is that they didn't they didn't necessarily get a whole bunch of the guys that I loved Um, they didn't necessarily do the things that I would have done and that's okay Um, I think that overall we're going to look at this off season and depending on what they do after May 8th, which is when the street free agents can be signed and no longer be counted on the uh, compensatory formula um, and post June, June 1st and stuff like that, depending on what they do there and we'll see. But if you look at the off season as a whole, I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, and this is going to sound really harsh, but we got Christian Wilkins. That's great. I love him. And then a, a bunch of scratch-off tickets, and and that's that's what it kind of is. And I know that that sounds bad, but you know that's that's what. If you look at Eric Rowe and the groin issues that he has, you know that's that's sort of a scratch-off. If you look at uh, Chris Reed and the fact that he's a, a, an annual backup with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we're going to try and see what he has, that's a bit of a scratch-off. If you look at um you know well Ryan Fitzpatrick um I don't don't even want to get into that um and and then you look at you know the draft and starting with you're talking about third round picks like you know a third round a third round rookie Michael Dieter is there really a lot of reason to expect a whole lot there um a fifth round guy and Andrew Van Ginkle we'd like and I get it but it's still a fifth round pick and fifth to seventh round picks are you they are what they are they have the historical um you know, averages. Uh and, and Chandler a fullback and, you know, a, a real a real roll of the dice who I don't even think necessarily is gonna make the team at tackle in the sixth round. I basically you got Christian Wilkins. That's the one that's the one we can we can and I'm taking aside Josh Rosen. I'm not intentionally not counting him. Yeah. Um, that that's what we that's what we surrounded Josh Rosen with this offseason was Christian Wilkins and some scratch offs. Yeah. And that's what you know going back to the josh Rosa debate, like that's what i'm I'm a little bit thrown off by and and so I think that they could rectify that though if they start getting a little bit you know, into the May eighth free agency and start, you know, taking a look at Jamie Collins or taking a look at Danny Shelton, or or something like that, and really starting to to fill out some of the team in a more aggressive way. Which I hear they might do. If that if they start doing that, then you start th- things click for me. You start to make a little bit more sense. But uh, but that's how I came out of the draft. That was my feeling.
0: All right, we got to get out of here. But before we do, let me just say this: if if you believe our evaluations and you take heed in what we say. Then the Arizona Cardinals might have had the draft of the decade. <laughs> okay, because they took they took basically one by one all our favorites. Kyler Murray, guy that all three of us like, he's a Cardinal. Byron Murphy, Simon's a big fan. Andy Isabella, all of us I think are pretty big fans. Yeah. I kind of like Zach Allen. I know you guys probably don't. Yeah, not, not me.
3: So much. I liked I didn't mind him at all.
0: Okay, yeah. Akeem Butler. You don't count. Hakeem Butler in the fourth round, Jesus Christ. He
3: was my number one receiver. Yeah, Yeah,
0: he he was mine too. In fact, I had him as my third best skill position player behind Josh Jacobs and Kyler Murray. I had Kyler Murray number one, of course. Lamont Gallard, my favorite center, you know, know, gettable center. And they got him in the sixth round, which kind of hurts. So, yeah, they had him, you know, on paper great draft
4: some guys late that you know were I believe they got Josh Miles which was a big yeah and Caleb Wilson the tight end from UCLA yeah and um and and it deserves to be said you know Drew Anderson the quarterback who Simon and I are both very familiar with they got him as an undrafted free agent he knows that offense already I mean the guy he's got to beat for the QB three role is is a second year out of Princeton who doesn't know the offense and didn't do so well in preseason last year so you know we'll see but and then the, the QB two is Brent Huntley. You know, we all have our feelings about that, I suppose. So you know, watch out. Drew Anderson could actually be on that roster come this season, and I like him a lot.
0: All right. Well, that's it. It's been a fun draft season. We gave you guys five shows and one post show and one emergency podcast where Simon was actually golfing. I was in a car, and I don't know where the hell Chris was, but I was in a car it? too. You were in a car, too? So we did a pod. We did a podcast where one guy was on a golf course and two guys were in a car, and I'm recording this on my phone. So it was a miracle that that got on the air. But it's been fun. It was fun giving you all this information. Next week, I have no idea what the hell we're going to talk about. Oh, and, of course, guys, on Saturday, the Kentucky Derby. Omaha Beach will win the Kentucky Derby. All right, that's it. That's it. There is no more. Talk to you guys next week.
1: Thanks for listening to 3 Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean or your usual podcast provider.